guest or a visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're with us, um, and it's good, good for us to be back together. Uh, my family and I enjoyed a weekend away, seeing old friends and uh, an old place, but it is uh, great to be back with y'all. Uh, we, we missed you and uh, are glad to be back in the mountains, so uh, uh, it is good to be with you. Well, friends, we are back in Exodus after taking one week off. Uh, we are in Exodus for the next four weeks, and then we're going to take a little summer hiatus and look at some different psalms for the summer, but, but we need to get through a few more chapters before we come to a good stopping point in the book. And so we're going to look at Exodus uh, chapter 6, the end of chapter 6, and about halfway through chapter 7. Now, if you remember from a few weeks ago where we left off, Moses had taken this message of deliverance from God to Pharaoh. He had said, let, let the people of Israel go, free them, but Pharaoh responded with, uh, with opposition, right? He took the straw away, go make bricks, you guys are idle, you need to, you need to uh, spend more time working and quit dreaming of going off into the wilderness to worship this God I've never heard of. And so, so Pharaoh punished Israel and punished Moses for this request. And, and Moses is confused, he's dismayed, he's not sure what he's supposed to make of this, so he goes to God and he says, what is going on? Where is the deliverance? What has happened? You told me to do this, and this is what I did. And Pharaoh is only punishing us. He's confused and disoriented. You remember what God said or what he didn't say. He didn't answer Moses' question. Instead, he retorted with an assertion of deliverance. In the middle of chapter 6, God said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will save you. God is making this promise of his gracious salvation to come. What are we supposed to do with grace? When God declares grace is coming, when he declares that it is yours, what are we supposed to do with that? Moses and Israel, they have this good news that's proclaimed to them, but what are they supposed to do with that good news? It's not just a question for them, it's a question for us. What does God's grace demand of us? The actress Kira Knightley, some of you might be familiar with her. She's in those Pirates movies. I think there's another one coming out and Pride and Prejudice and all these other movies that you might be familiar with. She said recently in an interview, she's an atheist. She was reflecting on her atheism in contrast to religious faith. And she said this, if only I wasn't an atheist, I could get away with anything. You just ask for forgiveness, and then you'd be forgiven. It sounds much better than having to live with guilt. Did you hear what she said? What she said about Christian faith, that if you're a Christian, you can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can act any way you want, because there's always grace to cover. Eat, drink, and be merry, because you have this get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, is that the Christian faith? Is that what it means to be a Christian? God's grace is simply there to, to allow us to do whatever it is that we want? Or does grace actually call us to something much more? Does grace demand something of us? Does it demand obedience? Well, let's read in our passage, beginning in verse 28. 
On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to tell the people of Israel, Go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So did you all hear God's call on Moses' life? Jumps right out at us. God declares, I'm going to deliver Israel. I'm going to save my people. I'm going to rescue them. And he says what? Go and obey. We see it immediately in verse 29. I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I will say to you. And in verse 2, you shall speak all that I command you. Okay, God is saying, I am the rescuer. I am the deliverer. Now obey by declaring my deliverance, by declaring my rescue. You see, God is leading with grace, and that grace is calling Moses to obedience. That there is a call on Moses' life to respond to this grace of God. That's how grace works. It's not given to us for license. It's given to us to initiate a call upon our lives, a mission for us to respond to. That's what God is doing to Moses. That sounds simple, doesn't it? God loves you, now do what he says. God cares about you, now obey him. That's simple, isn't it? I mean, it actually sounds very much like Tennyson's line from Charge of the Light Brigade, doesn't it? There's not to make reply, there's not to reason why, there's but to do and die. I mean, it's simple, isn't it? Just go do it. God has said said for you to respond in this way. He's given you a call, a mission, a responsibility. Now, just obey him. It's very simple. But it's not very easy, is it? It's a very simple principle. Grace leads to obedience, but we know in living it out or trying to live it out how difficult this can be. And it can be difficult because there's often things that hinder our obedience. 
right? There's lots of things that hinder our obedience. I, I would imagine if I asked you, if we were sitting down for a cup of coffee, and I said, so, so what makes it so hard for you to obey God? You would know the Sunday school answer, right? What, what makes it hard for us to obey God? Sin, right? That's a nice general word, right? Sin, and that's true, right? Even for the Christian, we know that we are new creations. God has made us new by his grace, that the old is gone and the new has come, that we have hearts now oriented towards his kingdom. And yet we know that until Jesus returns or we go be with him, that we still have the residue of sin in our hearts, that it still resides there, that there is actually a war going on in our hearts between the old man and the new man, between our sinful self, our sinful spirit, and the Holy Spirit that indwells us. We still have that sin. So absolutely, sin is what hinders our obedience. But we can drill down a little bit deeper, can't we? We can talk about the implications of our sin and, and specific ways in which obedience is hindered. And that's what we see in this passage. There's a couple of ways that obedience is hindered in this passage. And the first is Moses' personal excuses. Now, I know the outline says internal doubt to personal excuses. You can, you can scratch that out. That was a miscommunication on my part. It's simply personal excuses. Look how it starts. God tells Moses, go and speak. And how does Moses respond in verse 30? Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Okay, now, if you've been with us going through Exodus, like, this, you've heard this before, right? It's like, my goodness, Moses, like, how many times are you going to bring this up again and again and again, right? Since Exodus chapter 3, when God revealed himself to Moses on the mountain, Moses has given God seven excuses for why God has got the wrong man and for why Moses doesn't need to obey God's call on his life. He's given him seven reasons. He said, Pharaoh won't listen. I'm not eloquent. Israel will question. They will doubt. I've got uncircumcised lips again and again and again. Goodness sakes, I mean, it's exhausting, isn't it, to hear all his excuses? Like, Moses, how many times does God have to tell you to go before you just go? I mean, quit arguing. Just go again and again. It feels like he's stalling, making up these excuses. Kids, do you, do you know what this is like? To stall? <laughs> to make up excuses? I mean, maybe, maybe your mom has just told you it's time to go to bed. No, head, head down to your room, kids. Head down to your room. It's time for you to go to sleep. You need a good night's rest. And so you start heading down, down the, the hallway to your room. But, but then you remember, oh, I forgot. I need to brush my teeth, Mom. Hold on one minute. And so you brush your teeth, and you turn off the faucet, and you come out of your room, and you're, or the bathroom. You're starting to head down to your bedroom now. And, but, oh, I, I forgot. I need a drink of water because my throat is so parched. So you go down and, and you pour the slowest cup of water ever and you take your slow drink, but now you need to refill it because you might get a dry throat in the middle of the night too. So, so you refilled and then you start heading down the hallway, right? And, and you're about to get there. You stick the cup on your nightside table, but then you've forgot, oh, I need that book. It's out in the living room. And, and oh, mom, I forgot my friend's pet is sick. Can we pray for him? And you go into the longest, most passionate, slowest prayer ever for a pet that is sick. And when all the amens have been said, you hug your mom. 
but then you have to hug your dad. And with every single excuse, your parents are getting more and more frustrated. Kids, do you, do you know what this is like? <laughs> Until finally they say, would you just obey me? Go to bed. Have y'all ever heard that? <laughs> I mean, hypothetically speaking, right? <laughs> Not sure if that really has ever happened before, but of course you know what this is like, kids, because, because you're looking for ways to delay obeying. You're looking for every excuse to delay having to be obedient. And kids, it's not just you who, d- who does this. That's what Moses was doing. Again and again and again. Not the right guy. You know, as I was thinking about this passage this week, I'm standing at my desk, I'm looking at this passage, and I just, I felt myself starting to shake my head at Moses. But then I realized something, kids. You know, it, it's not just you that delays. And it's not just you that make up excuses, and it's not just Moses, but, but I do too. Like, as I started shaking my head at Moses, I realized I have a long list of excuses and repeated excuses. And you know what? So do your parents. And in fact, so do, all, so do we all. We all make up these excuses. Excuses like, you know, I don't... I don't think I'm going to share my faith because I just don't know if I have the right words. I'm not sure I'm going to have all the answers to their questions. Excuses like, I I can't volunteer to to serve in that area because I'm not as gifted as she is. Excuses like, I'm not going to go to that Bible study because I can't can't get up that early. Or or because they're going to realize I'm not as theological as they think I am. Or excuses like, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm single, I'm married, I have young kids, I have middle-aged kids, I have older kids, I have no kids, right? We, we have a, I don't know what your excuse is, but we have them. We have excuses, just like Moses, that hinder our obedience. We let personal excuses about abilities and opportunities and how God has made us to hinder our obedience. But it's not just personal excuses. It's also external obstacles. You see, that's what Moses was faced with as well. And he has the ultimate obstacle, Pharaoh, right? I mean, that is a big obstacle before him. Pharaoh, he knows the size of this obstacle in verse 29. How will Pharaoh listen to me? That's a good question. He is the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world, and he's going to listen to Moses? This is a massive obstacle, but, but it's made even worse. Look at verses 3 and 4. God says, go, proclaim deliverance to Pharaoh, say, let my people go. And then God says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my sins and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Okay, th- think about that for a second. <laughs> Moses has been given a job. And we know what success looks like, right? Deliverance. But God has said, you're not going to see it right away. In fact, you're going to go and proclaim deliverance to Pharaoh, and he's going to say, no, I'm going to harden his heart so that these words of deliverance will fall flat on his ears. It's kind of like in Jeremiah, when the people are in exile and God raises up the prophet Jeremiah to go and proclaim repentance, that they need to repent and return to the Lord. In chapter 7, God says to Jeremiah, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. 
think about if your boss said to you tomorrow, not tomorrow because it's Memorial Day, Tuesday, you go into the office and your boss says, I have got a very important task for you to do. This is what you need to do. And this is when you need to do it. Oh, and by the way, when you do everything I've told you to do, you're not going to get the results that you expect. How, how motivated would you be to do that job? <laughs> right? Because, because we assume that success and results looks like something, right? That obedience will produce a particular result, will produce a particular success. And yet that's not what God's saying to Moses. Right? There's this obstacle and Moses is concerned, not just with Pharaoh, but actually the result of his proclamation, right? How will Pharaoh listen to me? And yet, the success that he expects isn't going to come about. I mean, that sounds like failure, doesn't it? Maybe. Maybe our definition of success and what obedience looks like needs to be challenged. Maybe our understanding that obedience will always equal this particular result at this particular time, maybe we need to rethink that. Maybe in God's economy, success is actually determined more by simple, faithful obedience than what we think the result should be. Maybe. See, friends, the truth is, is that it's not our res responsibility to produce these results. Our responsibility is simply to obey, to, to put aside the anxiety of tomorrow, the anxiety, the worry about what is going to come about by these decisions, by these actions, by these obedient responses. No, you see, we are called instead to, to simply obey with the responsibilities that God has given us, to the call that God has given us. Think about how freeing that is. Moses is concerned with how Pharaoh is going to respond, but he doesn't need to be concerned with it. Just go and preach. Go and proclaim. Go and tell. Go and declare. Go and obey. I will worry about the results. That's what God's saying. I mean, think about how freeing that is. Think about how freeing that is for whatever it is that God has called you to. Because that's what that means. It, it means we don't have to be anxious about tomorrow and about what the results of today's obedience will produce tomorrow. So think about proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with a friend. So many of us, we get burdened by the worry. What if they don't believe? What if they reject me? What if they don't hear this word and believe? But what's God saying? It's not your job to convert them. It's just your job to be faithful, to, pro to proclaim it, to tell them, to declare it. Students, I know it's summer or almost summer, so the idea of thinking about like college and jobs after college, and that, like you don't want to think about those things, but you know that the anxiety of tomorrow is coming, right? It's out there. But here's the thing. You, you can't guarantee you'll get that into that school. That school that you want, you can't guarantee it. You can be faithful, you can be obedient, you can do everything you're supposed to do, and you can't guarantee it. And that job that you think is waiting for you after college, the one that you want, you can't guarantee it's going to be offered to you. 
And so obedience doesn't look like I do this and God will give me this result. Obedience simply looks like being faithful in the classroom, being faithful to your calling. Whatever it is, whether you're a student, whether it's sharing the gospel, whether it's a job that you want, whether it's the anxiety that we feel about what our kids are going to be like as adults, right? Do you all feel that anxiety? I have three children. Yes, you do, right? We feel that, that worry, that concern that if I don't do these things, then the result won't be what I desire it to be. But that's not our concern. God's saying, do not be anxious about tomorrow. We are only called to be faithful today, obedient today. That obstacle of tomorrow, we we need to put it aside. Do you remember what Jesus said about tomorrow? He said, don't be anxious about, don't worry about, because it's going to take care of itself. Don't don't worry about tomorrow, take care of itself. Don't, Don't worry about what you are to eat or what you are to wear. Consider the lilies of the fields. That, that, I think that is my favorite line in the whole Bible. Consider the lilies of the fields. God clothes the grass and he feeds the birds. How much more will he care for you? Do not be anxious about tomorrow, friends. Be obedient today. That's what we are called to. To to not let our external obstacles, obstacles like results and perceptions of what success looks like and, and tomorrow hinder us from obe- obeying God today and then tomorrow and then the next day. And we let God care for tomorrow, let God worry about the results. Now listen, this doesn't mean that there's nothing for us to do. Right? This isn't like, um, let go and let God. Have you all ever heard that? Like, please don't say that, okay? (laughs) Uh, I understand why people might say that, but don't say that because of the implications of it, right? Because it makes it sound like there's nothing for us to do. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what this passage is saying. It's not saying let go and let God as though we have nothing to do. We're actually supposed to respond. We're still called to respond with obedience, Even as we are putting our hope and trust in God, we obey him day by day by day. So what does obedience look like? Obedience looks like doing. Doing what God has called you to do. Whether we see the successes that we expect or whether we see them when we expect to see them. And that's what Moses does. Look, in verse 2, God says, you shall speak all that I command you. Verse 9, God tells Moses what to do when Pharaoh demands a sign. And then after God has told Moses to do these things, what do we hear? In verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Verse 10, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Did you hear that? Just as the Lord commanded. What wonderful verses. See, those verses are commending Moses and Aaron's simple, obedient faith. They're commending what Moses did, their obedience, not the results, because look at what the results are. Look at verse 13. They come, they do everything that God said. In verse 13, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. Pharaoh demanded a sign, like God said. They gave them the sign, and he still rejected. You see, their obedience, it's not predicated upon a response that they expect will come about or a positive response. They're simply called to go and speak. 
that's what they did. Obedience is doing what God calls us to. But obedience is also trusting in the one who calls us. You see, that's the second part of obedience. It means doing, but it also means trusting. So why can we trust? Because God is greater than our obstacles. God's greater than our obstacles. He's greater than Pharaoh. We see it in this passage. Let's pick up the story in verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. Okay, now, before we go on, let me just say, there, there is a little bit of debate and discussion about what is going on here. Like, were, were the magicians of Egypt, did they really, were they really able to take staves and turn them into snakes through some sort of demonic uh, power or, or dark art, something like that? Or, because of the language of magician and dark arts, is this kind of more akin to a modern-day illusionist? So they really did have a staff, but through, like, you know, tricks of mirrors. They probably didn't have mirrors, but, you know, some, some sort of sleight of hand. Were they able to hide the staff and bring out these other serpents? So, so there is some debate about this. But regardless, the point is there's snakes. And there's lots of them, right? There's plural. It's more than one. Okay, so there's these snakes. They're slithering around. We have Aaron's snake from his staff. And what happens? Verse 12. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Okay, we just read over that, but think about how cool that would have been, right? Like, that would have been awesome to watch all these snakes slithering around, right? Venomous, poisonous snakes, right? They're ready to strike, but there's this one snake that comes and he engulfs. He's eating these other snakes. Like, this is a little boy's dream, right? (laughs) Like, this would be so fun to watch. But it's not just a declaration of power, right? It's not just God showing that he is stronger than Pharaoh. It's not God just showing that he has the power to bring about the serpent. It's showing that God has authority that is greater than Pharaoh. Because you remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about the significance of the snake in Egypt. Remember, the snake was a sign of Pharaoh's authority and of Egypt's power. And it was on the crown that Pharaoh wore. And a few weeks ago, God turned Moses' staff into a snake to show Moses that he had greater authority than Pharaoh. But now, God is showing Pharaoh that he has greater authority than him. God is declaring in this act, when his snake engulfs the others, that there is no other authority in heaven or on earth that is greater than God. That's what he's declaring. That the power that Egypt has is nothing in comparison to God's power. That's why we can trust him. That massive obstacle before Moses is nothing compared to the Lord. We can trust him. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Because even in the midst of all this, Pharaoh didn't trust God. He didn't say, okay, away you go, Israel. Right? They actually met with further resistance. So what would we expect, knowing what we know about Moses... What would we expect Moses to do in this moment? He's come up against resistance. What's he done every other time there's been resistance? God, what is going on? (laughs) Like, where are you? 
right? That's what we're expecting because every other time, that's what he's done. He's gone to the Lord and he said, where are you? And I don't understand this. And you said that you're going to deliver your people, but where is deliverance? But look, Moses doesn't do that. Did you notice that? He doesn't do that. He doesn't come back to the Lord and he doesn't question him. In fact, that objection in verse 30 of chapter 6, that is the last time Moses objects till after chapter 13. So next week, we're going to look at the plagues. We're going to take like four chapters. Well, it's, yeah, it's about four chapters. We're going to look at all the plagues next week. It's going to be a really long... No, I'm just kidding. It's not going to be that long. Um, we're going to reduce it down. But, um, but in every one of those plagues, we know what happens, right? Every single time, God shows he's stronger than Pharaoh, stronger than Egypt. And what does Pharaoh do? He resists, he resists, he resists. And not a single time does Moses go, what's going on? He doesn't question. You see, it is a subtle way of reflecting that a transformation has happened in Moses' life. He has gone from questioning to trusting. No more objecting. He trusts the Lord. He may not see the results he was expecting, and he may not see them when he was expecting to see them, and yet he trusts that God will accomplish his will. He puts his trust in the Lord. Friends, that's what we're to do. That regardless of our objections, regardless of those things that are put before us, regardless of whether we can see the success or the end goal or, or whatever is before us, regardless of those things, we can trust him because he is greater than any of our obstacles. Now listen, we started this morning by considering um, the question of what is our response to God's grace? God declares that he loves us, he cares for us, he's going to deliver us. What, what do we, how do we respond to his love and mercy, his grace and his deliverance? Well, you know, that's actually not a new question. And it's not just a question that's posed by atheists contrasting their atheism with Christianity. It's actually a very old question. The story is told that John Bunyan, the great uh, Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he was in prison for his faith. He was in jail for proclaiming the gospel. And while he was in jail, some of his uh, religious opposers, they were Christians, but they were theologically, they differed theologically with him. They, they came and they said to Bunyan, they told him that he should no longer assure Christians of God's love. Okay, think about that for a second. Bunyan's message was God loves you. God is gracious to you. God has redeemed you. And they said, don't assure them of that said to him while he was in prison, if you keep assuring the people of God his love, they will do whatever they want. Kind of sounds like Kira Knightley, doesn't it? If God loves you, you are free to do whatever you want. God's grace will lead to license. But Bunyan said no. No. If I assure God's people of his love, then they will do whatever he wants. He was absolutely right. You see, friends, we obey God because he loves us. And Moses obeyed God because God graciously declared deliverance for the people. And he lovingly directed Moses in the way that he was to go, and he has done the very same thing for us. God has graciously 
not just promised redemption, but he has delivered redemption to us. He has redeemed us through his son. Jesus, this, this one who, who obeyed the Father, he kept the law perfectly. He obeyed the, law, the Father perfectly. You remember on the night in which he was betrayed in the garden what he said? Not my will, but your will be done. He obeyed the Father, and he knew where obedience would lead him. He knew that it would lead to the cross and to his death and ultimately to resurrection. He knew where obedience would lead to the point of death, even death on the cross and taking our sin on himself, and he obeyed. And why did he do that? So that we would know God's love and grace. And y'all, that is why we obey him. That is why we follow him. That is why we lay aside everything that hinders and all those things that could be objectionable. That's why we put them all aside and we faithfully trust and obey the God who has loved us and the God who calls us to obey him today and tomorrow and the next day and all our days. Let's pray. Our God and our King, we do thank you that you have shown us grace and mercy love and kindness, and we ask that you would now equip us and strengthen us to obey you, to follow you wherever it is that you lead us, to follow your call upon our lives and to obey you, to obey our God and our King, the one who loves us, has redeemed us. We pray in Christ's name and God's people said together,